Grammy Award winner Maria Maltar not only learned at the feet of Doc Watson, she lived with Doc Watson's family in the process. I'm Jesse Finkelstein on the Blues Radio International podcast. Maria Maldar talks about discovering American music in the Deep South and her time living with and learning from Doc Watson and his family. Maria, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Jesse. It was pretty impressive to see last night, not only for the music, but really for the history that you put together with the music. And uh, it, it occurred to me as I sat there listening that you really are one of the historians of this period, perhaps not intentionally. Did you ever think that that would be a part of what you were doing? No, not at all. I, I started in the early 60s of being part of the folk scene of the early 60s. And uh, uh, people still come to me and ask me about that whole period because I uh, they say if you were in the 60s, then you don't remember it. But I not, not only was there, but I do remember it all well. And... and uh, Really, what we were interested in in the folk revival of the early 60s was uh, we were people in the urban north discovering and starting to explore all kinds of American roots music, which, of course, they called folk music. Um, And uh, we were here listening to old 78s and old, uh, you know, Library of Congress compilations and Smithsonian compilations of early American roots artists like, you know, a lot of the blues artists, Skip James, Sunhouse, Booker White, uh, Mississippi John Hurt, just to name a few off the top of my head, and and uh, also a lot of Appalachian music, a lot of bluegrass. And so that was music that already was speaking to us from somewhat from the past. But so we thought that the people we were hearing on these Recordings were all long gone, but it turned out they were perfectly alive and well and living in the South where most of this music music originated. And, and um, so people started going down and trying to locate them and bringing them up north to concerts and, you know, uh, putting them on in coffee houses, concerts, folk festivals, and so forth. And so uh, all of a sudden this music, which might have faded away into obscurity, got new life and was um, much greater exposure. And uh, so I was just right in the heart of all of that and passionately interested in old-timey Appalachian music, bluegrass, blues, and, um, and was fortunate enough to meet some of the great American musical pioneers, all the people I just mentioned, Victoria Spivey, Doc Watson, you name it. They, there they were, and we could listen to them up close and personal. It was a very special time. But you actually went and found some of them. What's amazing to me is today people can go on the Internet and look for stuff, and most are too lazy even to do that. <laughs> you actually had to get in a car or bus and, and travel on the chance of that finding. you would find them there. Yeah, well, a lot of times we were given a hint 
by, for instance, Mississippi John Hurt has a song called Avalon. So somebody had the bright idea, well, Avalon, Mississippi, and looked for him there, and that's where they found him, or pretty close to there. And um, there was a group called the Friends of Old Time Music who were especially interested in finding old uh, um old-timey Appalachian artists, and they found Doc Watson and his family, and um, and they brought them up north to concerts, and uh, I happened to go to one of those concerts, and uh, it, it was a life-changing experience for me because I not only fell in love with Doc Watson's music, but the fiddle playing of his father-in-law, Gaither Carlton, and afterwards there was a big party at uh, Alan Lomax's house, who lived not far from there in the in the village in Greenwich Village in New York City, and um, for those of your listeners who don't know who Alan Lomax is, he was one of the great collectors and um, uh, chroniclers of of this early music. He would go in the South on field trips and record all these amazing uh, m- musicians. Anyway, so there was a party at his house, and I went up to. Gaither Carlton and asked him, I said, I wish you lived in New York City because I'd love to learn how to play fiddle from you because I just loved it. It was a very simple way of playing the fiddle that he had. (laughs) And probably that's why I I was attracted to it because I think I thought I could do that. But anyway, um, he invited me to come to North Carolina and he would teach me. So I uh, took him up on his invitation and that led to an amazing experience of going to the South. I had never been far out of New York City in my life, and all of a sudden I was in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains living in Deep Gap, North Carolina with Doc Watson and his family, and, and getting to experience firsthand how they how music was such an important part of their lives. They didn't have television. After supper every night, various kinfolks would wander down the trail from their, their cabins further away in the mountains and just gather on the front porch and sing these beautiful hymns and play beautiful banjo and fiddle and guitar. And I learned to play fiddle. I learned my first fiddle tunes from them. And um, what an amazing experience just to, to, to witness that way of life that uh, was so different than life in New York City. It, it was really special. I feel blessed that I was able to do that. What sort of a context did that give you? Because it's one thing to listen to that same piece of music in isolation, either in Mm -hmm. the city or some other location, and be impressed by it, like it, or have an opinion on it. It's another thing to actually have lived the life of the musicians and been with them and seen how it's produced. And how does that change the way you view that music? Well, I mean, it made it so much more real. And it wasn't just the music. It was just the way they lived, the way they related to each other the way they lived in way more harmony with the environment you know without making a fuss about it in any way they had a garden they they lived off the land uh even though doc watson was blind he he had rigged up the electricity in his house they had a spring house where they canned all their vegetables and stuff and had them for the winter and Oh, God, the, I still remember the meals. Like, they'd get up at 6 in the morning. They didn't have a gas stove. They had a huge wood-burning stove. And his wife, Rosalie, was making biscuits, and there was homemade jam and butter and, oh, you know, sausage and gravy and eggs. I mean, you know, a country breakfast fit for a king. And, you know, to my 
young mind. It was just very, it made a big impression on me. Just the way they lived their lives was very much more whole. And that's reflected in the music. I mean, the music is very pure and simple, and, and that's how their life was. Maria Muldaur talking with Blues Radio International about her search for and discovery of authentic American music and making it her own. I'm Jesse Finkelstein. You're listening to the Blues Radio International podcast.